Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Vanessa and me for our final episode of this season are Megan Pierce and Lane Hutchins. And Megan and Lane, I'm going to embarrass both of you just a little bit right now and say that when um, what I love about the two of y'all is very different, but Megan... You are like the fashion consultant. And <laughs> I remember when I barely knew you running into you at a DSW shoes. And I, <laughs> I could not make that. a decision <laughs> to save my life. And you helped me. And I have always appreciated that. So oh, that's funny. You put me on to some good Amazon buys. We, we all appreciate you helping out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody has to help me. I have some good ones on today, actually. I thought you might approve of. And then Lane, I've been so enjoying because you've been coming over to my house recently for uh, a little fitness group. And you mm. really are queen of um, uh, coordination. And I, you, you laugh, but we've recently started doing some things that require coordination to a beat. And she just very enthusiastically says, let's I do it. I love it. it. And she gets it. I didn't so. know that about that. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Okay. Tuesdays and Thursdays afternoon. So <laughs> it's fun to be with y'all in this setting. Very different. Glad to have y'all here. It's good to be here. And we're going to start off officially now with our first things first question, like we always do. And you're going to answer the question, and then you're also going to give just a little bio so people can get to know you. The question is, and if you're listening to this, mamas, and you have little people, (laughs) you may want to turn the volume down for a moment. Because the question is, when was the first time you realized Santa Claus was not real? (gasps) I know. Lane, start us off. It was when I was about seven years old. I think I found a receipt for something that, oh. I mean, this was before Christmas, but I happened to come across a receipt for something that I wanted for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember being like crushed that that meant there wasn't a Santa Claus. Um, maybe I already thought there weren't. But what I was concerned about was my three-year-old sister not finding out. Now, oh, of course, right. she couldn't read, but <laughs> I made sure to put the receipt somewhere where, you know, where Becky wouldn't find it and find oh. out there's no Santa Claus. Oh, so, that's so sweet. Um, so I'm Lane Hutchins, and I'm married to Hutch for 47 years, and mm. I have three grown children and five grandchildren, four boys and a girl. Oh, so so sweet. Um, well, I'm Megan Pierce. I am married to Jordan, and we have two kids. I have an 11-year-old son named Bennett and a 9-year-old daughter named Julia. Um, I work part-time here with the children's ministry at First Pres, and I plan some of our larger events, and I really enjoy that. Um, okay, so to answer this question about Santa, I had to call my mom um, because I really only vaguely remembered this, which I guess is good. That means it probably wasn't traumatic for me. But um, she said that she thinks I was probably around seven or eight and that she felt like for some time I probably maybe had some suspicions. Um, I don't know if maybe I'd heard something at school or um, but I had, had started asking some probing questions, some some hard questions. And so this is the part that I remember. I remember she took me into the living room and I don't remember the details of the conversation, but just her saying, confirming my suspicions that yes, in fact, Santa Claus is not real. And so um, what really stands out to me is I remember, I don't know if it was right after that conversation or a little bit later, but her um, saying to my dad that we had had that conversation and I think he got a little misty, you know, I think it was kind of like a, Mm -hmm. a moment of his little girl, you know, growing up. So, um, that's what stands out to me. But, um, otherwise, you know, I I remember being fine. I I think I was a little bit of an old soul even then. So Mm -hmm. I think it was kind of a a shoulder shrug for me. Mm -hmm. So 
as long as there's still presents under the tree. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite that cynical. Yeah. But, uh, the song's popping into my head as y'all are talking that I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus mm-hmm. underneath the Christmas tree last night. And I do sort of remember thinking, that would be so weird. I hope that <laughs> never happens. Um, but my parents never really made much of Santa Claus one way or the other. My grandparents always had a present underneath the tree that said, from Santa. So I don't remember there being like a defining moment. I think throughout childhood, maybe I thought maybe, maybe I thought maybe not. Sort of skeptical, sort of not skeptical. But it was just the the practicals that I think convinced me. Like I thought, really? He's going to come down that chimney? Because we did heat our our home with a wood-burning fireplace. So if if you're coming down the chimney on December 24th, you're going to get burned. (laughs) That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. So I thought, that's not really going to work. And those cookies that we left there by the fireplace are still there. And whatever little things it was, I think I just started to think oh, I don't really know about this and I'm sure my parents confirmed it at one time or another but my p- grandparents continued to leave the Santa present until I think I went to college oh, so, fun. You know. we yeah. didn't have a chimney or a fireplace and I remember yeah. I do remember asking <laughs> so if we don't have a chimney how does he get in and I don't remember what daddy said something like we leave the door unlocked or something <laughs> I don't know that's for the Grinch to get <laughs> yeah, in <right. laughs> if you leave the door unlocked that's funny well, I mean, as the youngest of nine, there wasn't a lot of fantasy left in my yeah, world. Yeah. I had too many siblings who just, you know, knew that it wasn't. And so it's hard to preserve fantasy mm. in little mm. children when you've got lots of older kids around. I had to I had to really work hard to do that for mm. my youngest. Um, even in talking about, she would say, the sun's going night, night. And her sister would try to give the scientific reason. Oh, no, there's a rotation. I said, the sun is going <laughs> night, night. <laughs> yeah. Let yeah. her enjoy. Let yeah. her be a kid. Mm-hmm. But I can remember writing a letter to Santa in like maybe second grade or something like that. But I, I don't ever remember being crushed that mm-hmm. that wasn't a reality. My, my parents just, I knew that they, I, I think that they knew they didn't have the, the right conditions to be able to, <laughs> to pull it off. So I don't think it was ever a real thing for me. Um, well, Joshua encouraged Israel to sink their belief and hope in something that was real. And he over and over again recentered Israel on the word of God. And I love that about the book of Joshua. Uh, the powerful themes that get introduced in the first chapter of Joshua carry through to to the entire book, the centrality of the word of God, this don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that is written in it. And then will you make your way prosperous? Then will you have good success? And so we see that we, the the centrality of that, of the word. Um, And then we see that in the covenant renewal that happens um, in Joshua Um, and just the pattern of the Lord saying to Joshua and Joshua saying to the people, we see the Lord spoke to Joshua, Joshua spoke to the people. And so we see that the word of God was so central um, to Israel's success and they're being called to that. And Joshua did that consistently. Um, I think one of the other um, important things uh, is a theme of remembering. There is this theme of remember the Lord your God. And uh, we see that in the memorial stones after they cross over. We see that in these long accounts of battles that we glaze over reading. Um, but those long accounts of battles Um, it's a record of the Lord's faithfulness. And so remembering that and how that fuels their um, success and their flourishing. Um, And then we see this strange altar of witness 
that's also about remembering. And so we see those big themes. And then we also, we feel the paradox of God being so incredibly gracious. He's this gracious God who pours out his mercy on an unworthy Rahab. And, uh, and we're encouraged that he does that. We are so glad that he pours out his grace on uh, and his mercy on Rahab and allows the line of the Savior to come through her. Yet we see his severity and, and, and holiness in dealing with the sins of Achan. And so there's that paradox happening in Joshua. You see how many times the Lord is gracious. And yet he, even in the sin of Achan, he is gracious to tell Joshua what to do next as Joshua is crying out to him. So um, lots of important themes that that arise in Joshua. I think one of the ones that really resonates for me is um, the Lord fights for us. We we see that so much. We, uh, we see the commander of the army, this strange figure appearing, this commander of the army of the Lord. Um, and we see that in the long account, again, of the victories that the Lord won for them. But over and over again, we hear it said, the Lord fought for them. The Lord fought. He doesn't allow them to lead, that, that to leave their minds, that it was the Lord who won the battle for them. And so we see that again and again. And then I think finally, just the importance of covenant promises. And uh, we spoke on one of the podcasts about um, just the oddity, the odd nature of keeping a covenant that you entered into, um, you know, under false pretenses, and that God is so uh, serious about us honoring covenant that he upheld it. He made them uphold it. And we saw that many years later, he was still upholding that. And so that peculiar and unwavering way that the Lord binds himself to his people and and, and in covenant and keeps covenant when they are faithless. And we hear the chilling words, Joshua didn't consult the Lord and he unwittingly entered covenant with those he was commanded to destroy. And yet the Lord honors that covenant. Um, Every promise gets fulfilled. Um, That's a huge theme. Every good promise uh, is what Kathleen Nielsen is calling her uh, book. And we see every promise is fulfilled. Not one of them fails. That is amazing. I mean, when you consider that, um, what's being encapsulated there, all of the promises in the covenant of Deuteronomy, all of the book of Joshua, none of those promises failed. They got the, the prepared place, the land of promise. They, they reached that and they got rest. And it points to this greater rest and it points to this uninterrupted rest that will ultimately be fulfilled in the Lord's coming and it points to this place a prepared place for all of God's people and so there are some sweet promises in Joshua that we could spend quite a bit of time just salivating over but um, I love some of those themes Mm -hmm. I love hearing you say them I mean as you're going through them I think yes and because we've been doing this study for 12 weeks and we do it in chunks. Has it been 12 weeks? I think this is about 12 wow. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it makes me want to go back and read it again. And if you've been listening to the podcast, we're so glad you have. But if you haven't read Joshua, read it. You know, all yes. the things that we're talking about and everything that we have talked about on this podcast, we're not just pulling from our own minds, our hearts, our life's experiences. We're pulling from the word. And then I've just been so grateful for all of our guests who have come on. They have um, interacted with God's word, and then they have seen how that then applies to their lives. And we have talked about 
God's word. And we've talked about our responsibility to know and follow it and the blessings that are found in it. We've shared together about remembering God's majesty and his might. We've mm-hmm, marveled at his mm-hmm. wonders in the way that you, like you talked about, that he fights for us in very particular ways, some large ways, some tiny ways, some small ways. We've acknowledged, like what you said, Vanessa, and wrestled with the seriousness of our sin, uh, but with God's promise to judge and, and with God's promise to judge justly, but we've camped out in God's promises to undeservedly bless us. And that's what, with rest. And that really is that theme, that in covenant relationship with the Lord, he leads us to rest, both now and eternally. So we've covered a lot of material. And, you know, three questions that I always ask myself when I come to a passage or if I read a book as a whole, I start to think about, you know, what is this text saying about who God is? What is this text saying about who I am? And what is this text saying about how God and I interact? And so we're going to ask some questions along those lines today. And we're going to start with one about who God is. And so Lane and Megan and Vanessa, from your study of Joshua, What's one thing that stood out to you about the way that God relates to his covenant people? And then how do you see him relating to you in a similar way today? Man, so I think there are probably a few different ways that I could answer this question. But um, the one thing that just really stands out to me is just the way that God assures his people of his presence with them. Um, I feel like we really see that from start to finish in a lot of different ways throughout the book of Joshua. Um, but probably the one that um, stands out the most to me is um, at the crossing of the Jordan. And, you know, not only do you have just this really majestic display of his power as he cuts off the water, but it's the it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's his presence that really um, is center stage. And so I just think, what a kindness that that moment is for them that, you know, before the people even begin to take possession of the land he's giving them, that, that he would assure them of his presence. Um, you know, Joshua even, even tells the people before they cross, you know, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. Um, and that he is going, um, without fail, drive Mm -hmm. these people out before you. And so, I think just that they would know that the same God calling them to go in and do those hard things is the same God that just cut off these overflowing river waters so that they could cross. And just what a what a sweet assurance that would be that he can be trusted for um, for what's ahead. Um, in his commentary, Dale Ralph Davis, he talks about instances like these and he calls them explosions of God's power. And yeah, and he says um that they are really meant to assure us that the God who so mightily handles great emergencies is surely adequate for the smaller crises and anxieties that beset us. And I think I really see that in my own life, that it's when I look back at times where he's been faithful, where he's been present, where he has shown me his, his power. um, It's really strengthening for my faith and it gives me confidence for, for what's ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that quote too. Just how the, the the large translates to the small. It's not just that we're waiting for the Lord to show up when we have a monumental uh, challenge, but in the, all the little mm-hmm. tiny daily challenges as well, and how that strengthens our faith faith when we get to the monumental. Yeah, the monumental when we challenge. see those things from the greater to the lesser, yeah. you know, if He would do this, mm-hmm. then surely He will also do this for you. I love that. Yeah. And how much presence matters. Mm-hmm. You know, you think in Exodus when um, 
Israel has defied the Lord and Moses is speaking with the Lord and the Lord is, is saying, I'm going to send you on without me essentially. And, the, and Moses says, we don't want to go into the promised mm-hmm. land without you. We'd rather not go at all. Mm-hmm. And just how sweet it is. Like you said, to see, it's not that I'm just leading you to something good. I'm leading you to something good. That's completely connected to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm in that place with you. Yeah. Following on what she said, I really thought about the way that God relates to his covenant people like a father. Mm-hmm. Um, when I thought about how he was willing to forgive them, you know, he had a plan. Mm-hmm. He knew what was best. He also knew they weren't always going to obey, but he was willing to forgive because he loved them mm-hmm. and not because of anything they did. Mm-hmm. He he chose them just, you know, and so that relates to um me and that just as he provided all that they needed um he does that for me and and so I was talking to somebody this morning even about how um they were his chosen people not because of anything they did for whatever reason he chose them and so the same is true for me and for us that before time you know in time eternity passed he chose me so my whole life is the story of him taking me through um, my wilderness or my into the promised land, and it's all preparation. Um, so I think it was just how he relates as a patient, loving father. Um, one way I've learned to appreciate him as a father is, you know how they um, disobeyed and then they had to repent, but he was always willing to forgive. Um, when I'm convicted of sin, um, I'm not devastated by it anymore as much as I'm grateful that God cares enough to convict me of my sin and that he's willing to forgive me. Mm-hmm. And that um, father kind of relationship has really meant a lot to me. I Also, what kept coming to my mind was the c- chorus from a song from a really long time ago. I'm not going to sing it, (laughs) but it's a song by Babby Mason, but the chorus kept coming back to me, and um, the name of the song is Trust His Heart, and you may have heard this before. God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, Trust his heart. Mm. 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 That is so good. And just remembering that he is a, a, a kind and loving father and that his plans for us are good and his intentions towards us are good takes us a long way in being able to trust his heart. Mm. So that's so helpful, Lane. Thank you for that. Um, when I think of ways that God relates to his covenant people over and over again, um, I see that he is so kind and not allowing them to think that they accomplished anything on their own. That's yeah. a kindness. That's a real kindness. He's constantly taking away their bragging rights. Um, he takes away their bragging rights when he um, circumcised, causes a man to be circumcised right before battle. Um, just the many ways that he keeps, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and allowing them to defeat armies that were way larger than they were. And so just impossibility after impossibility after impossibility, he takes away their bragging rights. They could not have done it in their own strength. And then at, at AI, when he took his covering from them and they were defeated by an army that they should have been able to easily beat, they were able to, again, that reinforced that, you know, they needed him. 
that they couldn't accomplish any of this. They couldn't take this possession of this land without his power and without his presence. And so in the Lord's kindness, you know, I'm grateful for those spaces where he has allowed impossibilities to make his power known in my life. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful he's taken away my bragging rights because he knows I'm prone to pridefulness. Uh, and so those places where he's, you know, um, made it painfully aware and allowed me to fall on my face um, when I've tried to, when I've had a heart that was um, full of a, a sense of self-importance or lifted up in pride or being self-sufficient in ways that were not godly. Um, he's allowed me to fail in those things. And I'm so grateful for those failure failings. And, you know, in the moment that didn't feel good, <laughs> you know, yeah. it didn't feel good, but boy, what a kindness to work some humility um, and to cause us to cling to him like Joshua tells them over and over again. So I think that's that's the relating that I see that is in- encouraging to me. And you don't really think that bragging rights are as um, heavy as they are. Like we want bragging rights. We think we want bragging rights. Yeah, but they do. are a burden, you know? Yes. Bragging rights are a burden, yes, especially when you have to keep them up and when you encounter things that you know you can't keep up. And... And then they keep you from asking for help. They do. And those yeah. pedestals, it's 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 mm-hmm. it's a long drop when you fall off of those pedestals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it yeah, you usually get banged up pretty good. I'm, I've heard people say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's it's a lot easier for me to to say in hindsight and in reflection uh how those trials have shaped me. Uh I can know at some level when they're going on that the Lord's plans towards me are good. Like, you know, we were talking about Lane and that he is my father and that he is present and you know, his intentions for me are good and to not to harm me yet I don't always respond as though I believe that that's true my life wouldn't always bear that out Mm -hmm. so now can you think of ways you have found yourself challenged um, by Israel's response to God as they entered the promised land two things came to mind when I read the question one is as they're about to enter God has them stop and be circumcised and they do it and he was reestablishing the or refreshing their memory on the covenant sign. I just was always so surprised that they were just, they just, they did it. I mean, they were supposed to. And then when Joshua tells them how they're going to conquer Jericho, march and blow horns, (laughs) and they do it. Um, And for me, this was sort of personal. They weren't concerned with how it looks or how it made them look or what people will think. And um, I tend to, too often probably, um, and more concerned about how it looks or what others might think of me than obeying God or speaking the truth of the gospel or taking action based on his word. I worry about making God or me look foolish. And I realized as I was thinking through this that God can take care of himself Mm. and he can take care of me. And I was reminded of the verse that says um, in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so um, I was reminded, they set a good example for me. There are a lot of things they did that didn't set such a good example, but those are two things. God did it so that there was no question that he conquered Jericho. They could not claim any. You know, and so there are going to be times, and there have been times, when God's going to want me to do something, and it's going to seem foolish or not make any sense, mm-hmm. or 
whatever. Right. And so I, I hope he'll bring them them back to mind and just remind me of Jericho, um, you know, because unfortunately I tend to question things and go, that doesn't make any sense. And um, that that means it's probably of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, another one other thing I thought of was that um, to know that I need to know the promises of God so I know what I can count on him for. Right. He promised he'd go before him and he'd, he'd give them the land. So if I don't know the promises, then I don't know how to let his promises guide me. Um, and so, and it's important to, as we've talked about the memory stone, memorial stones, to rehearse the mighty acts of God in my life. Um, I had a professor, an Old Testament professor, that used that phrase a lot mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Rehearse the mighty acts of God. And it happens all through Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a reminder to me to do that in my life and um, as the Israelites did as they looked back. I mean, imagine when they got together and said, hey, do you remember Jericho? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember all we did was march around and blow the horns and then it just fell? I mean, that was amazing. Or telling their children about it, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important for us to do that. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've uh, said that since I've heard you say it. And I I don't know about your Old Testament professor, but I give you credit. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, I have a friend who says this all the time, but it does something. It feeds our faith to rehearse Mm -hmm. the mighty acts of God and to remember how great our God is. Mm -hmm. It is uh, life giving in whatever moment. So I took this in a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different direction. Um, As I was looking back over Joshua, there's this little incident in chapter 17 that um, jumped out at me. And it's when the tribe of Joseph um, shows some discontentment over their allotment of the land. And, you know, I think it's so easy um, to look at the Israelites with sort of like one big eye roll and just think, (laughs) you know, how could they, you know, look what, look what he's just done. Rehearse these mighty acts. Remember, look what he's promised. Look what he's giving, you know, how, how could they complain and and be discontent? Um, But if I'm very honest, you know, I I really see myself in that and and maybe all of us can, can see ourselves in that at times. But, um, you know, I, I grumble and I complain and, and I, I'm so guilty of forgetting as well. And so I really think it's the same for me that it is for them that in those times, it's really just, it's an issue of failing to remember the sovereignty of God in my life, um, failing to trust that he has arranged the circumstances of my life purposefully. And, you know, I think that there is a confidence uh, that, that when there's a confidence that my present lot is what the Lord has intended for me it makes it really difficult for dissatisfaction to exist. And so I think in this way, I'm, I'm challenged to trust him. Um, there's a verse and it's Psalm 16, five through six. And Kathleen actually had us look at part of that in our study. And it says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And so I think just looking at the Israelites response here to their allotment and thinking about my own life, you know, I want to live like I believe the words of those, that passage, um, 
Like, I believe that the Lord holds my lot and that I believe that the lines have fallen for me um, in pleasant places. That is so good because it is it really is easy for us to have that one big eye roll and to think, how could they and to completely disconnect their um, uh, disobedience and their rebellion and to not see ourselves in it. And it is a work of the spirit that we can, <laughs> you know, it is a work of the spirit that quickens our hearts and allows us to see um, where we fall short and where we are in, in many ways, just like them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Just how prone we are um, mm-hmm. to wonder, I guess, like yeah. that song says. Um, what stuck out to me about their response, this generation's response prior to their parents, was that they trusted in someone outside of themselves. So they trusted in the Lord's word. They trusted in who he was. They trusted in um, Joshua as their leader communicating God's word to them versus their parents trusted in what they could see. You know, they trusted in what was in front of them. They, well, they trusted actually in their assessment of what it was that they could see. So, and they, you know, seemed to make a reasonable assessment. You're wanting to go into a land and everybody that you're wanting to displace is stronger than you, has more equipment than you, mightier than you. Well, the logical assessment is don't do it. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that seems pretty logical, but they, and then they trusted that. And, but these people trusted in the Lord's word, not in their internal assessments of the situation. And I just thought about that and how often I do rely on my own assessment of things and how I generally think that my assessments are probably pretty astute. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, then I often will um, draw back or not walk forward in faith because I assume I know what the result of that's going to be. It just was an encouragement to me, reminded me that the things that were in place for them, uh, these these Israelites were that they could hear and receive God's word. Uh, They also prayed. You know, Joshua interceded a lot for them. And they were lived in a community that God had established, and they trusted that leadership. And I thought, man, all of those things uh, really challenged me to think, do I just think inward thoughts or do I pray? Do I know the Lord's word? Do I put myself in his community? Do I trust his leadership uh, to me? And and all those things are absolutely vitally important. You know, without them, it's hard to walk by faith into challenges. But, you know, as good as all of those things are and as necessary as they are, prayer, knowledge of God's word, community, leadership, Uh, They're all actually ineffective um, and potentially ultimately dangerous if they if I put my faith in them Mm -hmm. instead of the one that they lead me to, which is Jesus. And so you think about Israelites in Jesus's day when Jesus came, they had the word. They knew the word. Um, They were very religious. They prayed. They knew the word. They had that community. They did all of these sorts of things, Uh, but they did not recognize who they were being pointed towards. They would not receive a savior uh, that actually just led them into a deeper reliance on themselves so that when Jesus came, they wouldn't, they didn't want him um, because it meant absolute utter acceptance of one outside of themselves. And so it just was such a, a reminder to me and a challenge as well that as we studied Joshua, You know, it could be easy to say, I want to be like Joshua. I don't want to be like the Israelites. I do want to be like the Israelites here. I don't want to be like Achan. I do want to be like Caleb. You know, all those sorts of things and forget, yes, it's it's good to take note of, of, of who the people were and how they responded, but you've got to see 
that all along the Lord was leading them and showing them that eventually I'm going to provide you ultimate rest through a leader uh, much greater Mm -hmm. than Joshua. And you're going to need him and you're going to be absolutely, utterly dependent on him. And that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so as we've worked through Joshua, there have been ways that we have noticed and pointed to the fact that we see the eventual coming of Jesus who leads us into ultimate rest. As y'all studied Joshua, what are some of the ways uh, that you saw or that you were appointed to Jesus? Yeah. So I think kind of going off of what you said, Amber, you know, I, I think Joshua points us to the person of Christ and his faithful obedience to the Lord's commands. Um, in chapter 11, it tells us that he left nothing undone that of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And so, you know, in Joshua, we have this picture of faithful devotion and a seriousness for keeping the Lord's commands. And and I, as a leader, we see him urging the people in the same way, you know, to keep his commands. But even in his devotion, even as a great example of faithful obedience, he could not do it perfectly. Um, he could not keep the law perfectly. And it was an imperfect leader that led them. And so I think as much as kind of like what you were saying, Amber, as much as we have an appreciation for the life of Joshua, our gaze can be lifted toward Christ. You know, we follow the one who did perfectly keep the law. And as believers, Christ calls us into that life of obedience. And so um, with Christ as our leader, I don't know if that's even the right word to say there, but, you know, how much more should we desire personal holiness? How much more should we desire um, to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I was thinking how Joshua is the person provided by God through whom God would reveal himself. That's, that's how God communicated with the people. He showed them the way. He guided them into the promised land and fulfilled the covenant he'd made with Abraham. And Jesus is the person sent from God through whom God revealed himself. Um, Jesus said, he who's seen me has seen the Father. He is the way to the promised land. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So the promised land, heaven, which it'll be for us, it's his to give and into which he he invites us and he establishes the means for entering. And then he makes it possible for us to meet the criteria, I guess, by paying what we owed so that we are free of debt to enter into that that promise. And I think um, one thing I've gotten from this study of Joshua was to step back and see um, that my life is like the Israelites. I'm not different than they are. God had them on a, on a journey with an ultimate goal, and he provided what they needed, and he forgave them as needed and he and that's true for me that I'm on a journey it's a picture of of my life and our life the same thing and I don't think I'd ever quite seen it that way before that um I'm headed to the promised land and um the way is has been made for me and Jesus is my guide and I just have to follow him um as as the Israelites had to follow Joshua. That's so cool. We are all on a journey. I, I like that a lot, Lane. Um, I think Joshua points to a greater reality in Jesus in a lot of ways, even just in the names, right? I mean, the, the, the name is the most practical in that they both mean the Lord saves. 
but also I, I think a, a couple of big ways that I see that um, that resonated with me was Joshua's prayer dependence just over and over again. And Joshua was doing, I mean, he was mentored by Moses. He was doing what he had seen, you know, uh, you, you, you see that in, um, you know, um, Exodus, for instance, you know, Moses would talk to the Lord and then Moses talked to the people and we see Joshua doing the same thing. He had that prayer dependence upon the Lord. And then when he gets away from that, he gets in trouble. He gets duped by the Gibeonites. And so um, there's that prayer dependence. And we see that in Christ. He's pointing to this greater reality that Jesus says he did, as Lane was saying, he did only what he saw the father do. So we see that that prayer dependence pointing to the relationship between Christ and the Father. And the other thing that comes to mind for me, this whole theme of rest that that goes throughout scripture, Joshua leads the people to a rest that wouldn't be a lasting rest. But over and over again, we see that the people had rest from war. The people had rest from war. We even see all the prophets talk about, we'll study war no more, uh, that notion of rest. And it's pointing to that greater reality of a rest that will be undisturbed and eternal Mm. when we're in the presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Those things stood out to me as well. Just the fact that Jesus did nothing accept his father's will. I'm just reading through John and how many times he says that. And I think Mm -hmm. if God himself, the son of God himself did nothing but the father's will, who am I to think (laughs) I should be doing something different, but how he did that so perfectly and that, that doing of that and that establishment, that firm establishment of that covenant relationship then was given to us um, through his work on the cross. You know, he did nothing but his father's will and his father's will was for him to die and to pay the penalty owed by sinners like me mm-hmm. who refused to do his will. You know, it was Jesus's perfect obedience that brings us rest in God. And it's because it is perfectly done, perfectly complete. Mm-hmm. It's a rest that never will be undone. Amen. With that note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next season. It's the end of the season. We will be talking about the book of Acts next season using a study by George Robertson and Mary Beth McGreevy called The Church the Trinity Built. Can't wait for that one. In Acts, we will explore the early years of the church and how the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit continues to this day. So uh, to help us intro that book, um, the co-author of our study, Mary Beth McGreevy, will be joining us. You won't want to miss that one so if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today check out our women's bible study facebook page at women's bible study fpca or find us on the gram at first prayers augusta women we look forward to being back with you in the new year hope you'll listen in sometimes a light surprises the christian wife she sees it is the lord rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of your shining to cheer it after the rain